Hey guys, you're listening to the Tasha Labs podcast. And finally, finally, we are getting some movement in the crypto market, right? So in the past couple of days, you can see both Ethereum and Bitcoin price have dropped about 10% or so. And uh, you're seeing a little bit of rebound in the market right now. But the thing is, we've been oscillating in a very narrow range for a long time, as I talked about in the previous episodes. Uh, depends on how you define this, this range, depends on how you define the border of the range wider or narrower, you can say, okay, it's been a range for about one or two months, or even, you know, even starting the March, um, starting the middle of March, you can say there hasn't been much of a movement in the market, right? So we got, we just got this downside thrust in the market. And uh, I want to talk about how we look at this, okay, um, today. But again, as always, my purpose here is not to give you any specific prediction or investment advice. My hope is through, you know, looking through this, uh, um, the price action and the market behavior, we can look at this together and help you to refine how you think about your investments and help you to refine your own investment framework um, and define your own approaches. I think that's more, much more important compared to um, listening to any kind of specific pre prediction about how market will move next. Okay, so let's uh, talk about this. So the first thing, if you look at the, I'm just looking at the, the daily frequency of price movement on um, Ethereum right now. The first thing you notice is that there has been, there was a large seller especially in August 17th, Thursday, August 17th. I think this is probably the UTC time zone. Okay, so that may not be the exact time zone of your local time. But on my side, it's Thursday, okay? So um, what do I mean by large seller and how do you know that's a large seller? So the way um, I think about this is the market price is ultimately is determined by supply and demand, right? So when price is moving down, it's either there is increased selling, in other words, increased supply, or there is a reduced demand, in other words, reduced buying or a combination of both. But usually there is a one side dominant factor, right? But how do you know which one is which? Uh, recall, <laughs> Again, you there there are multiple ways to think about this, but I'm an economist. I'm telling you about a economist way to think about this. Okay, recall your um, high school econ 101 class. Okay, you learn about supply and demand curve, right? You draw a diagram, and there is a supply go supply curve that goes from the bottom left to the top right of the chart, and there is a demand curve that you draw from the um, top left to the bottom right of the chart. And the intersection of those two gives you the equilibrium market clearing price and volume of that market, right? So you just, you can apply that framework to the financial market and it applies perfectly. So that means when you see, and you know these demand and supply curve, they can move, right? So if you, if these curve moves, it usually, it, it means there is some kind of structure change or regime regime change that is different from the previous equilibrium. In other words, there is some kind of shock that comes into the market, right? So when you observe 
a lower price but increased volume being sold and bought, being transacted. What it tells you is supply curve has moved to the right. In other words, there's increased supply, more selling pressure, right? On the other hand, if you see reduced the price, but also reduced the volume, what it tells you is the demand curve has moved to the left, meaning there's less buyer than before, or the buying demand is less than before, okay? And you can also vice versa. If you see increased price and increased quantity, increased volume, what it tells you is there the demand curve has moved to the right. In other words, expanding demand, demand higher demand coming into the market, right? And when you see reduced volume but increased price, that means the supply curve has moved to the left, meaning at any given price there is reduced supply. So in general, if you're positioned on the long side, if you're the buyer, if you're looking to buy, what you want to see is an increase in price is accompanied by an increase in quantity or increase in volume being transacted in the market because that tells you the demand curve has moved to the right. In other words, there's a higher demand pressure in the market and the price move, the price moving higher is not just entirely caused by um, less sellers because you want to see this because in general that gives you when there's fresh new demand coming into the market that gives you a higher price momentum to the upside it that you know it tends to imply a more of a lasting and more powerful price push to the upside so that's what you want what you want to see if you're positioned on the long side and also if you're positioned on the long side and when you see price drop you want to see a lower volume, right? Because that tells you the price drop is likely caused by what? By just a, you know, lower demand than before. Maybe the buyers they're you know taking a break, but at least it's not caused by what? At least it's not caused by increased selling, right? Because it's not caused by increase. In other words, it's not caused by supply curve moving to the right of the chart. That's not not what you want to see because uh, that implies there is some kind of fundamental shift in the market that bring in more sellers, more selling pressures in the market. And that's not what you want to happen when you're positioned along in the market. So I hope this makes sense. To me, this is a very clear, very simple to use framework. If, if it's not immediately clear to you, I encourage you to take out a piece of paper, draw this chart on the piece of paper and just move the two curves to the left and right and to see for yourself, okay? But in this case, if you observe in the market in a couple, day, uh, couple of days ago, like I said, in August uh, August 17th, what you see is that uh, you see a large price drop. But at the same time, you also see an increased uh, market clearing volume. It's actually, I would say, I'm looking at Ethereum right now, okay, on the um, using the Coinbase data. It's almost like a two to three times higher than it than the average trading volume of the past uh, um, couple of weeks or so, okay? So what it tells you is <laughs> there has been a shift applying to the framework that we just talked about. There has been a rightward, there ha the, the supply curve has shifted to the right, okay? So there has been increased selling pressure coming into the market. And that at least that that is the dominant factor. Now, 
why do I say there is a large seller? <laughs> I don't know if there is just one large seller. Okay, maybe there are two, maybe there are three, but I don't think it's a hundred or two hundred large sellers. Why? Because if if you read the news, there hasn't been any particularly negative news coming out of the market, right? For crypto, and in fact. I think by end of this week, was that Thursday or Friday? You saw there's actually positive news on the Ethereum side. There was a, like uh, Ethereum futures ETF being approved in the US, right? So that tells you this is not caused by some kind of industry-wide um, panic or distress selling across a wide range of investor base. Okay, but you do see large selling. So what it tells me is there are probably, you know, one or a couple or a few large seller <laughs> in a short period of time that is causing, that is moving this, um, moving the price um, forcefully downward, moving it out of the range that it has established over the past one month or so. Okay, so don't ask me who the seller is. Okay. If if that's what you're interested in, you can go um, foraging on, on on Twitter or, or or chat rooms. There are all sorts of uh, conspiracy theories uh, going on, all sorts of narrative. But that's not the kind of thing I'm interested in. I don't like to read gossips, unless except maybe it's gossips about Taylor Swift. <laughs> okay, I I just uh, for whatever reason this is not type of thing that interests me. I don't tend to seek out for that type of information unless it just falls into my laps by itself. Okay. But I, I cannot tell you who that seller is, but by just, you know, looking at the price behavior, the price and volume behavior, I think there is at least one large seller for whatever reason. So what, what, what that reason could be, you know, it's like, uh, um, it, it could be just, just like a similar story. I'm not saying it, it's an exact story, but a similar story that you've seen over the past year in terms of uh, when this kind of uh, um, dramatic selling event happens, right? Usually that large seller has some kind of, it was in some kind of financial trouble that they had to um, liquidate their position for whatever reason. You also saw this um, back in March in the banking sector, right? The... Um, was that Silicon Valley Bank? No, um, that was not Silicon Valley Bank. That was a crypto bank. Was that Silver Lake, right? Um, that's the bank's name. Um, keep keep in mind, you know, there out uh, there can be. I don't know exactly the financial story there is, but I would not be surprised that any kind of there's some kind of crypto for crypto entity, crypto firms, whether it's an individual, large holder, or it's a company that is under some kind of stress. Um, even you just look at the macro environment, right? The um, rates have, rate environment has increased so much, right? So um, even though the, if you look at the overall financial condition, it's not particularly tight, but objectively the funding cost for companies has increased so much. Even for individuals, you look at the, um, the mortgage market, right? Um, two years ago, you can get a long-term mortgage in the U.S. with 3% interest rate. Now you, we are talking about 7% interest rate, right? So that's like more than doubled in less than two years. So it's the same on the corporate side. So that raising, tightening environment is putting a lot of stress 
um, on certain company's balance sheet, right? If it, especially if if the company is leveraged, so it could be micro related reasons that are causing some distress on certain individual entities' balance sheet that they had to sell their position position in a short period of time. Again, I don't know what specific story is, but this is something I think you can more or less infer just by looking at the price action, right? But of course, once the selling start, because you keep in mind the market has been in this kind of uh, uh, lukewarm, uh, doing nothing kind of uh, ranging environment for several months now, pretty much, right? So it's, it has established a, uh, some sort of a range here. So, but once that, once you push that price out of that range, it got people excited, right? So now there, there, and so it, it starts some, some sort of the domino effect or the flywheel effect. So um, you can think of, there are several sorts, right? Um, one is uh, there could be more shorts, right? More people start showing because uh, um if you have an asset that has been be that's been moving in the range for a very long time and suddenly got pushed out of the range, you expect you tend to expect that trend to continue, right? In that direction where it's pushed. So it, it would attract more short sellers. And it doesn't have to be short sellers, even just buyers being with their um stops taken out, right? Because it could it could be buyers if you're on the long side and you are in the market when the price is ranging, it's just very easy for you to have a very defined downside scenario, right? So your downside scenario would be when price moved out of this range. So it's very straightforward. If you're like a medium-term investor in Bitcoin and Ethereum, it's easy for, this is like a almost no-brainer um, in terms of where you will set your stop loss, right? Your stop loss will be just, uh, you know, probably maybe slightly below this range that you can see, which is very narrowly and well-defined by now, right? So as soon as this, if you have a bunch of, that that means there could be a bunch of investors with their stop loss, like concentrated right below the, the range that we have, we, have uh, we have established over the past several months, right? That means once the price is pushed outside, pushed down outside of that range, you have a bunch of stop losses that got hit immediately, right? So that creates additional selling pressure in the market. So um, I call that the long squeeze, right? So you, you, <laughs> the funny thing is you usually hear people talk about the short squeeze, right? So when price moves up, it kind of, uh, it, it, it takes out the, the, the shorts, um, but the thing is, actually, there are way frequent, way more frequent long squeeze um, to me than short squeeze in the market because there are a lot more um, investors on the long side compared to the investors on the short side. Maybe depends on the asset, right? You could have like uh, in 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 terms of the your average stock, maybe like. Uh, Less than five percent of those shares are being short. I'm talking about the average stock, okay, not a like widely shorted stock. So that means ninety five percent of investors are positioned along. So if price moved downward, you get like a lot more 
stop losses being hit compared to if if the price moves upward, right? I think this is one of the reasons also why <laughs> a lot of times you see the price move down much faster compared to when they move up. This is exactly this. This is one of the contributing mechanism, right? Because when price start moving down, like very quickly and very dramatically, it hits a loss, a lot of stop losses very quickly, right? because most people are positioned long, and if they are judicious and uh, disciplined enough to put a stop loss on the position, that's when that forced selling will happen, right? So, um. So the 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 long squeeze happens every day in the market, and a short squeeze is only happen once in a while. Or maybe that's why that's news because if something happens every day, it's no no longer news. <laughs> okay. So, but um, so but my point is there are multiple mechanisms that can contribute. You once you have a uh, large seller um, initiating the selling, and then that will lead to a bunch of uh, domino effects that push the price um, down even more in a relatively short period of time. So um, so now <laughs> uh, the next question is, so where do we go from here, right? So, um, so you also, um, of course, whenever this kind of thing happens, you will hear a lot of, uh, uh, chanting, especially in the crypto circles, about uh, buying the dip, right? Whenever price di dips, uh, there are always a bunch, a bunch of uh, uh, buy the dip chanting, right? So um, whether that's something that is uh, suitable for you, it, re it really depends on your individual framework, right? So to me, um, the buy the dip... <laughs> It is is the right strategy if if you are one of two types of people in this particular case. Okay? I'm not talking about in all cases, just this particular case that we've seen in the past uh, um, in the past two three days. I would say in one case is you are the insider. Okay, if you say for example you 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 tell me. Uh, Tasha, I work for this company that has that that was this large seller that you're talking about. <laughs> and I know exactly how much we had to sell and that selling now is done once and for all and we are in a good position. We have no more trouble and no more selling to do. So I don't see any downside from now on. <laughs> if you're the insider and that information is your edge, okay? So to you, now there is a higher probability to the upside than to the downside. And if that's you, then I would say, yeah, Go ahead and buy the dip, <laughs> right? Um, that's the first first scenario. The second scenario is um, if you are a professional short-term trader, okay? If you're a professional short-term trader and, and you tell me, Tasha, I've seen this movie a hundred times. I have studied... Uh, the past 50 similar incidences of dramatic sell-offs in Bitcoin and Ethereum. And I know exactly the five scenarios that's possibly potentially going to play out from here. Okay, And I have a very defined strategy of how I'm going to take advantage of the opportunity that goes as follows. For example, I will watch for a steep sell-off. 
That's the first step. And the steep sell-off to me is defined as, for instance, price moving downward um, by at least two times the average price range of the asset in within 10 minutes. That's my very precise definition or your very precise definition <laughs> of what a sell-off means. And the average price range for Ethereum is about uh, right now sixty seventy dollars. Uh, no, six, yeah, sixty seventy sixty seventy dollars. That's average 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 uh, uh, price movement in an average day. For Bitcoin, it's probably a hundred to a thousand dollars. So 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 and and if you tell me, um, if I observe the sell off, as I defined clearly, I will start looking for a bounce. And how I define a bounce is price increase by at least half of the daily price range, daily price movement range of the asset within 10 minutes. And if I see that, I will start going long. And after I go long, here is my stop loss set according to such and such rule. And my target profit-taking price target is set as such and such. And once price moves up by half of a daily price range, I will start taking profit. And once price moves by at least one daily price range, I will take 80% of my profit. And once price hit, hits the, um, I don't know, the uh, Volume-weighted average price, I will be completely out of my position. And if I'm not in profit in 20 minutes after I started buying, then I'm completely out of the market, out of the position, even if my stop loss is not hit. If that's you, <laughs> if if you can tell me, if you can give me such a detailed strategy plan, that covers five, six possible scenarios. In, in other words, you are very specific, very professional about this because we're talking about in this type of you know, scenarios, you, you have very fast market movement, right? So you, you gotta have that detailed plan. You cannot just get in a position and start thinking what you're gonna do. You don't have the time for that. So, but my point is if you, if that's you, if you have a detailed strategy, that is based on past analysis of past um, incidences. Okay, so it's not just a, something that you imagined out of thin air, right? If you have that, then by all means, this is like your golden opportunity, <laughs> right? So, um, but if you are neither of those, if you are neither a insider, which has special information about who's selling and whether that entity or a person has done selling, or you are not a professional that has analyzed this kind of scenario and knows exactly what your plan is. If you are neither of those, then I will say you got to think about what's your what's your reward risk in in buying the dip in this kind of scenario. I think to me one of the biggest risks in this type of uh, incidents is if, as we have hypothesized, okay. If there is indeed a large seller who or selling because there was some kind of trouble that need to that that 
make them have to liquidate some of their position. If that's the case, the biggest risk is, do you know if, if they're done selling or not? I, I, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I don't have that special knowledge. Maybe you do. If you do, then go ahead. Be my guest. Uh, buy the buy the freaking dip, okay? But to me, uh, that is a very tangible risk. If my conclusion is to say there is a large selling, there is a large seller who was there on Thursday. Now I I see some price rebound, yes, but how do I know that seller is not coming back on Monday? Okay. If if that seller is like selling because of some they're they're experiencing some financial difficulty or any kind of other difficulties, you know, like troubled entities, they don't solve their trouble in a few days, right? So what if they had to do more selling? <laughs> so in other words, how do I define the downside scenario in this case? I have no way. I have no way to define that. Now, you may argue <laughs> if you're in one of those uh, uh, people who are really into technical analysis and you can say, okay, but Tasha, look, we have established uh, a bottom, like a uh, local bottom here because we've hit some kind of uh, local support. Uh, if you look at the price behavior in the past, yeah, this is like bottom of the range. If you look at uh, uh, how much the price dropped uh, in June, for example, in the middle of June, we also had a pretty sharp drop and then um, the price was supported at around this area. So I expect we have hit the local bottom. So this is time to start buying. In other words, if you're playing this type of, uh, some type of support resistance game here, I mean, uh, fair enough. If that's your framework. Okay. To me, um, it's particular in this type of like, a uh, kind of dramatic force selling scenario. I, I don't want to trust any kind of support resistance level. Okay. To me, do support resistance levels work? Sometimes. And they especially especially they work very well in particular market. In what kind of market? In the market that is it that doesn't have a lot of external shocks. It in the market that's always the same bunch of players, there's no new players. Um, and there's no like uh, um, external news or catalyst or good or bad. Um, basically, a market that is in extreme stability. <laughs> and then it tends to uh, respect the so-called support and resistance. Right? However, if it's a market that has frequent structural changes or external shocks, like, you know, forced selling, you cannot foresee, right? Um, then I don't really know how 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 trustworthy, how reliable the support resistance levels are. Okay. I give you an analogy. You know, in the US, we all drive on the right side of the road. In the UK, you drive on the left side of the road. Yeah. So that's that's a social convention. Everybody respects the rule. It's like if you have the same bunch of players, they respect the support resistance level everybody can see in the market. But imagine you suddenly drop like 50 million Americans into UK. Yeah. And all those people are extremely bad <laughs> at driving at left side of the road. You can't have a lot of chaos. Okay? You have much less respect to the driving convention or whatever. Okay, So what I'm telling you, the analogy to the market is if you have, for example, a new segment of investors coming into the market, then your existing so-called support resistance will tend to work less well. Or if you have... Uh, 
sellers who have new situations coming in, other reasons, external reasons that will lead have to make them have to sell. Then your support resistance. I don't know how how much those are worth. Okay, so um, in in a bigger picture, you can say um, if the price has a strong uptrend or a strong downtrend, by definition, all your previous support are taken out in in the case of downtrend, and all your prior resistance are taken out effortlessly in in the case of uptrend. Right. So if support resistance work, then you will always have a ranging market. You will not have a bull or bear market at all. So um, that's something you need to think about, right? Um, is this the kind of scenario where price will have a large likelihood to respect whatever support you established before, okay? Um, this similar thing applied to any kind of uh, technical indicators you use, like overbought, oversold, uh, it's the same deal, okay? Same deal to me. So, um, but again, uh, this is this is how I look at this. It's like as as the average investor who does who do not have the insider information. Right? If I just look at this like a, in terms of price action, I do not see for me a clear edge here in terms of what what I get out of buying the dip. Okay. So, but then that that's 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 me. That's the way. That's how I approach the market. How you approach your, your your framework may be totally different, right? So, and also when I look at, so so in general, I don't like to buy weakness. I like to buy strength. Why do I like to buy strength? Because if I buy strength, by, by buying strength, I mean, I want to see something that has clearly established kind of a baseline price level and is on a uptrend with some kind of confirmation um, I'm not going gonna go into details of what kind of confirmation I'm, I'm looking for, but at least I'm telling you, I want to see price is on a uptrend already. Now you may argue, well, then you are missing out the best price, right? Because you are paying the higher price, and I'm fine with that because because that allows me to define my risk more clearly. So, um, but for you, you may be different. <laughs> Right, depends on your own framework, and this is kind of thing. You know, it's really, uh, it it's 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 less than helpful, or it's extremely unhelpful if you listen to what other people say. It's if you listen to people who tell you, "Oh, we're gonna rally from here. It's gonna leave the um all the people on the sideline, and uh, um, uh, so on and so forth." <sighs> Whether whether that's right or wrong, whether how it however it turns out, I don't think that's helpful for you because that's to me that's not helpful at all because that's completely irrelevant to my own framework, right? So if you want to be consistent in the market, you want to be, um, you 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 want to follow your own framework and your own thinking, right? And that type of uh, that type of uh, outside narrative or other people's narrative other people's surprise predictions it just i would say even it's it's a little bit toxic um to as as a investor who who's trying to make your own make your own um independent decisions huh? um and to me and and also um so why 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 do I think so so to me this type of scenario is definitely not a buy here. 
it's definitely a no. Okay. Um, why why is it a no for me? Because um, again, I cannot clearly define what is a downside scenario. Okay. I I don't know how much this whether there, there is uh, this this seller is down selling, um, how much trouble they're in, whether we will have further negative shock, especially given right now. The sentiment of risk asset is not exactly great. And I think I covered a little bit of that in the last episode. If you look at the equity market, we are um, in some sort of correction to put it mildly, right? Um, but the market market sentiment is not going up <laughs> right now, to say the least. So in this kind of scenario, this is definitely a no for me because I cannot clearly define where I need to set my stop loss, basically. Compared to um, a scenario where, um, and this is the reason why, why to me, I like to buy strength. And I, I would rather to see like something that I has clearly break out, uh, broken out to the upside and I know exactly where to set my stop loss because my stop loss will be um, wherever the price level that the thing is uh, breaking out from. And if the price goes back down and breaches that uh, base level, then I know I'm not I'm wrong. The thing is not on an uptrend, but that is very clearly I can very clearly define that, right? And uh, uh, in this type of thing, you know, it's already dropped very fast in a couple of days, and yes, it's showing some rebound. Yes, it seems there is a support level, but do I know if there is a second shoe? I do not know. So how how do I define my downside? I to me it's very hard to define. So in actually this is something important I want to talk about. Um to me defining your downside is like the most uh, if not the most important thing in in your investing framework. It's it's one of the most important things. And the reason is it's one of the things that you have the best control of. So if you think about um, in a investment, any investment decision, you have a expected value, right? You have a um, expected value of a certain investment uh, uh, position that you are taking on. And the expected value is equal to what? Is equal to your the probability that you are going to make money, in other words, your win rate times the average expected gain from this investment minus your loss rate, which is one minus your win rate times the average expected loss of this investment you're making, right? So out of these, so these these are the parameters that define your expected value. And you always want your expected value to be greater than zero. Otherwise, there's no point taking this decision taking on this position. So, but if you think about outside of these four components, well, three components actually, because your loss rate um, is just one one minus your win rate. So three components define your outcome, the win rate, the magnitude of win, and the magnitude of loss. Out of these three, which one do you think you have the most control of? I would argue the magnitude of loss is the one you have the most control of. Why? Because your win rate uh, what's the probability that you're going to make money on this is influenced by 
other factors not within your control. It's influenced by market uh, conditions, as we talked about last time. It's influenced. There, there is a degree of randomness in that. Sometimes you get lucky. Sometimes you're extremely unlucky, right? So there is a high degree of uh, uh, there. There is a high degree of uh, uh, magnitude that you cannot control in your win rate. Of course, it also depends on your skill. So that's the part you cannot that you can control, which is your judgment and your skill. But the thing is, it's it, there is some randomness in it. And also the magnitude of your win, this is also something that you can, it's not within your, it's even less within your control because you you can, of course you can make a judgment in terms of, okay, I expect this thing will go up by X percentage, but really there is a high degree of randomness in that, right? So there's also something you don't have a firm handle on what is something you can have a control of though is the magnitude of loss because you can define a stop loss right the stop loss being your entry price the difference between your entry price and your stop price if your position long i'm in general in general i'm here talking about when your position long right if your position short it's the opposite but that's a uh, less people do that and less frequently right so um so it's the magnitude of a stop loss. This is something that you can control by deciding when to enter and uh, what what price you set as your stop stop price, right? So you you say the old saying says, if you want a happy life, you want to let go of things you cannot control and control the things you can control. Right? It's the same thing with investing. You want, but the thing is, people don't pay attention to this. Okay, there is a second. People usually pay pay attention to the part that says let go of things you cannot control, which is great wisdom. But they don't pay attention to the second part, which is you've got to control the things you actually you are capable of controlling, <laughs> right? Otherwise, you are leaving the alpha on the table. So in this case, the part that you can control is the stop loss, the magnitude of the stop loss. Okay? And you want this part to be as small as possible in order to achieve the positive uh, EV, positive expected value, right? So, but the funny thing is, in a lot of cases, people tend to have the opposite instinct, okay? So, because if you if you follow the logic that I've described so far, you will realize that if you have a higher win rate, that will actually give you more leeway and more room to have a higher stop loss to still get a positive expected value. Versus if you have a low win rate, if you have a very low win rate that you definitely want a smaller stop loss to control your less you know, to if your win rate, if your loss rate is 60% compared to if your loss rate is 30%. In the first scenario, you want to stop smaller stop loss. Okay, that, that is still, that is the, I would say one of the fastest way to improve your investment performance if you have a small, if you have a low win rate, right? But people in general, in reality, people instinctively, they tend to do the opposite, right? If they have, if people, when people have a smaller win rate, their instinct is to give it more room, meaning they set a, a higher, a, a wider stop loss. That's like exactly the opposite you want to do. Okay? If you have a lower, again, if you have a lower win rate, 
you you are better off setting a small, as small as possible stop loss. And what is your ideal stop loss? It's zero. <laughs> I know it sounds extreme, but seriously, if you think about it, this is the portion. Your loss, uh, it, like a uh, probability of loss, your loss rate times your magnitude of stop loss. This is the part that you need to subtract from your expected value equation, okay? It's contributing negatively to your expect, is, is, um, is, is the, uh, expected value. So you want this part to be as small as possible and the ideally the smallest value you can have for this part is zero, okay? So ideally, theoretically, in the perfect world, your stop loss will be zero. This is, I know this sounds extreme, but if you like, but this, seriously, this is what best investors do. If you read, like, for example, the Market Wizards book, which is very entertaining to read <laughs> about, like, this guy interviewing, like, the top traders and investors, what do they often tell you? Like, people tell you, my best trades are those that I'm in when I'm immediately in profit when I after I take this position. Why? Because I, if you are immediately in profit you can very quickly move your stop loss to zero. That's like perfect scenario. That's the perfect world. Right? Anything that is a anything that deviates from that is a second best. Now, I know so like uh, maybe you're some of you you're thinking, but Tasha, if I widen my stop loss, it helps me to increase my win rate. Also, right? Because you I you it give it more room so it has more chance to, if you're in the loss, it has more chance to recover and so on and so forth. Yes, there is sometimes that kind of effect, but notice though that is a second order effect. Okay. So the magnitude of your stop loss, its impact on your expected value, that is a first order immediate impact. For your stop loss level to affect your win rate and your win rate to affect your expected value, that is a second order effect. Will that cancel out, make up more than the effect, the first order effect of your stop loss on your expected value? That's something that you got to think about, okay? If you're not clear, please, I encourage you to write it out on a piece of paper and you stare that equation for like 15 minutes and think about this clearly. <laughs> <laughs> so 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 to me the fastest way ideal stop loss is zero and the fastest way if you if you are in a drawdown and you want to improve your you know performance uh of course you, you need to improve your judgment and skill but really the fastest way is to reduce your stop loss <laughs> and 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 this is counterintuitive to 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 a lot of people so um, why am I talking about this? Oh, <laughs> I digressed. I noticed. So again, Tasha, you again digressed. Um, the reason I'm talking about this is because I'm. I was talking about whether like current scenario is the type of of a price price action that we're seeing on Bitcoin, Ethereum, or crypto in general. Is is this the type of scenario I will consider buying? To me, this is a no, and the reason is because. I have no idea how to define my stop loss in this case. Okay? Unless I'm doing intraday, like a really short term and I see a bounce. Okay, maybe this bounce will last for, I know, I don't know, a few hours, a few days. But I like I previously talked about, I don't do intraday 
very, very short-term trading in crypto. And the reason I talked about in my previous episode, if you check, like, I think it's maybe a couple episodes before. Okay. Um, but if I'm in, in this, like, uh, take a position in like a Bitcoin, Ethereum, any kind of tokens, I want to stay for, you know, at least, uh, a week or so, a week or two, right? Um, do I know how to define a stop loss if I want in this right now at this moment for that type of uh, for that type of position? I I, I don't know, right? That's beyond me. Uh, maybe you have a better idea, uh, but not not to me. Okay. So again, not investment advice. There are all sorts of ways to make money. This is just how I look at it. I'm not suggesting you buy or not buy. But I hope this helps you to think about your own approach, gives you some inspirations to look at things maybe a little bit differently. And, uh, you know, eventually you got to come up with your own way to make money. Right. Okay. So uh, that's all for today. And next time, you know, I, I got some um, interesting question question about my last episode after I published uh, this episode about uh, how to get in sync with market cycles, right? So after I published, published that, I got uh, some interesting questions. So I think next time I'm going to do a Q&A um, to answer some of those questions. And if you have questions, by the way, about the market cycles, please do provide, uh, you know, write your comment, uh, uh, write your question in the comment, or you can DM me on Twitter or send me an email. Um, I think you can also post comment if you're listening on Spotify now. They just uh, uh, started a comment section under their podcast uh, um, under their podcast uh, UI. Um, okay, so 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 that's uh, probably what I'm gonna do for the next episode. And also, as I told you last time, um, <laughs> I'm trying to make more content uh, right now because it's summer and it's things are a little bit slower, and I have more free time. So I'm going to be definitely a lot more, uh, a lot busier starting maybe the second week of uh, September uh, for uh, all the way until November. So uh, I'll probably be missing action for extended period of time starting back, starting then. But before that, I'll try to make some more, um, make some more episodes. Okay. So if you have any ideas, uh, something that you want me to talk about, feel free to comment or let me know. Okay. And also, um, if you're listening to this on uh, Spotify or on Apple Podcast, don't forget to leave a rating or a review. And if you're listening on YouTube, give this uh, sh give this episode a like or comment and uh, definitely sub subscribe to the channel. Okay. So uh, that's all for today. I will talk to you next time.